Blog Talk Radio. Namaste. You are now in the Funk Soul Cafe, a cool, hot, soulful radio show for artists, writers, and so much more, hosted by yours truly, Robert Batista. So sit back, grab a nice, warm, and soulful cup of java or chai, and listen and enjoy. I'll admit I've wanted to be an author since second grade. I chose my college major because of it. My plan was to teach AP English until I wrote my first book. I picked my second job as a gifted facilitator because I couldn't grade AP essays and write on my own very easily. I work as an instructional technology coach now and learn skills constantly that carry over into my author pursuits. I want to succeed as an author. These are the insightful words of tonight's esteemed guest, author and technology instructor, Darcy Leach. Namaste, Darcy Leach, and welcome to the Funk Soul Cafe. Well, thanks, Robert. It feels great to be here. you got some nice atmosphere. Thank you, thank you. So let's continue the atmosphere by taking your Java order. We have wonderful variety of fine espressos, cappuccinos, and lattes. And we also have herbal teas for those tea lovers. So what's your fancy, Darcy? Well, sometimes I like the trendy pumpkin spice latte, but I am a white chocolate mocha fan. So how about one of those? Oh, yeah, I like that. Okay, let me fix that up for you. And here you go. Enjoy. Thanks, Robert. Darcy, I am so captured by your book and story. Can you please give our audience a brief synopsis of this heartwarming story called From My Mother? Yeah, I'd love to. From My Mother is about surviving and thriving in a family ravaged by genetic disease but it's not limited to genetic disease because what it really is is the story of the relationship in a family, the love of a mother carrying through to both her son that inherited muscular dystrophy from her and to me, her typical daughter and how she raised me despite the adversity and the difficulty of a degenerative disease to give me lessons that I could carry on to my own children. It's a, it's a coming-of-age story amid medical crisis. It talks about a lot of 
a lot of things people are going to have to deal with in the real world, whether that's taking care of their parents or having children that survive with medical conditions that wouldn't have survived in the past. It's it's a story of loss on many levels, but it's also it's my life story of how the losses in the past have transformed into inspiration and to the groundwork I need to live my life successfully. Really, my mother, which is the main heroine of the story, she's the strongest woman I'll ever know, and she died of weakening muscles. And there's a paradox in that, but that's where the beauty in the story is, is that even when we're weak, there's a way we can find strength. Wow. At one point, at what point in your life, Darcy, did you decide to write this book? And what and why did you decide to share this story with the world? What was it that made you feel you had to tell this story? Well, there's a part of me that's always wanted to be a writer as a career goal, but I'll tell you the truth. Uh, when I was 16, that's when my brother passed away with myotonic muscular dystrophy, and the way I grappled with that at age 16 was to write. Uh, I carried around a notebook in my backpack, and when the history lecture was a little long, I was writing an essay or trying to process something about that. Writing's been how I cope with the difficulties in life. I took that notebook with me on basketball games. I had it in my room that was constantly on me, and uh, that notebook was kind of my therapist. Uh, but the whole story, um, my mother was healthy for a good long time, and then kind of all of a sudden her adult-onset muscular dystrophy put her in the hospital uh, because her muscles weren't strong enough for her to breathe on her own anymore. And I had at that point a six-week-old son and my mom originally was going to help me take care of Eli. Uh, she was going to live with us and be the daycare and help me be a good mom. And I was really looking forward to that because I saw that as a chance to heal from the loss of her own son and to feel purpose and meaning and to feel capable. And that was kind of taken from me because instead of coming to our house, she ended up in the hospital in long-term intensive care hooked to a ventilator tube. And... Once again, I was in a place in my life where I didn't feel in control. Uh, I didn't know what to ask for exactly. I knew I was dealing in the family with a genetic terminal incurable disease. And uh, I wrote a little bit, mainly on Facebook, trying to get people to respond, help us out, um, pray for us, you know, expression that brings those social concerns back. Um, and truthfully, when my mom passed away, there was a long term time where I didn't write because it was too much emotion, and it was right. I don't know. I'd rather go back to routine than deal with it. Um, yes. But about seven or eight months after she passed away, I started writing, and it was really writing for healing again, uh, trying to process all those feelings. And about three years later, I have a book, <laughs> and I really hope Josh, this book. Yeah. Uh-huh, go ahead. Okay, well, I really hope with this book that the writing is a meaningful process that's not just healing for me, but that gives other people in situations where they're caretakers for their parents or there's a genetic disease in the family or they don't know what lays in their own DNA. I hope this story can be healing and meaningful for them. That's why I wrote Through the Tears. What would you say, Darcy, are the most important themes in From My Mother? 
Well, from my mother is a coming of age story, and it's about growing up to learn some of the most important life lessons um, that even come at the end of life. It's an honest story. It, it's a real story. And even though it's a story about loss, it's an uplifting book in how loss can transform us, how loss can build us, that sometimes life is a trial by fire where we come out stronger from what our parents put into us. Um, so the themes really are about the resilience of the human spirit. And there's a lot of questions that go into that, like what lies in our genetics, if there's fault in that, um, whether we should at the end sustain life by machine or uh, just kind of what we're meant for. There's a lot of themes of relationships and family and what it really takes to grow up. A lot of authors who write about actual events from their past often relive the circumstances and happenings over again very vividly when they're writing the story. How did you deal with those, with living those events over again, Darcy? Yeah, that's a good, honest question. Um, Truthfully, there'd be times where I'd uh, write and cry a little bit or a lot, um, and then I'd have to relax. Um, luckily, I had a cute little boy in the house that I could go cuddle who needed his mommy, and that would help. <laughs> yes, um, definitely. To be honest, there was a time after I was writing about my mom that uh, when I finished the section I was on, I, I went to her gravesite and I sat there and talked to her. And that was good because sometimes there were things I would avoid um, and writing let me process that. So dealing with living it a second time was helped by my family. But to be honest, one of my coping mechanisms is probably going stoic or trying to ignore the emotions and writing, let those come to the surface where they should be for a little while at least. Part of your author bio, it states... Darcy was told she would live longer than he did, meaning your younger brother, and matured quickly as a child living amid medical crises. Darcy, talk about that development of the maturing quickly process. How exactly did you do this seemingly rapid maturation? Okay. Uh, When I met my brother, he was still in the hospital, and I think he was about three months old before I got to meet him, and when I met him, I had to be in full medical garb with my hair and a net and a mask on my face because he was still in such critical care. Um, It was scary, and in order to prepare a three-year-old for that, uh, my dad told me that my brother was different and that he would likely die before me and that we wanted to make each day with him matter. And that that's really what my family emphasized was that each day with Dustin was a blessing and right. that as a family we'd do as much as we could. And um, he had a lot of needs. Um, my brother lived 13 years, and all 13 of those years we changed his diapers. <laughs> and I would, like when I was 15 or 16, part of my morning routine before going off to high school was that I'd help my mother get him out of bed because as he was growing, her muscles were weakening. So 
I did a lot of adult caretaking tasks even when I was in high school, like helping change my brother, helping brush his teeth, helping get him him out of bed, dressing him. And um, with that and knowing that somebody in my family had a terminal disease, somebody, uh, my brother, was outliving doctor's expectations but really could pass away at any moment, um, life was really serious for me. I was probably that introverted kid who thought a little bit too much, couldn't take jokes very well. Uh, So maturing may not be the word for it because there are probably some stunted things at times, but really what it helped me to do (laughs) was to value each day, to try to make the most of it, um, to be willing to look past my own pleasures, to try to find meaning or ways to help others and I think it gave me a little bit of wisdom early on that hopefully I can pass on to the readers, but um, my childhood was a little different with uh, with my brother. I understand you got early beta reviews by reaching out to people who previously were affected by a terminal disease. Talk about how this happened and how this worked for reviews of your book. Right. Uh, From My Mother is a very personal story, and families like mine um, can feel pretty alone with a terminal disease. So something I've been part of for a while is online support groups. Like one of the best groups is the Myotonic Dystrophy Information and Support Group on Facebook. And um, they knew about my family. They'd seen pictures. I'd seen pictures of their children. And I reached out to a couple of them who uh, either had situations pretty close to ours or uh, people that were interested in the literature to try to help their families understand. And a couple of them were interested in in reading early for me, and that was really good because one of the things I have to be careful about is um, I'm reaching out to a community with muscular dystrophy where my my mom was fully a part of it. And I'm a typical sibling. I don't have the genetic pattern, and I wanted to make sure my language wouldn't be offensive, that I was getting it technically correct, that I was being empathetic and understanding, and those reviews were really important to me. Um, And it's been a lot of organic growth with From My Mother. I mean, the story's naturally connected to the people that I asked to help me read it, somebody in nursing or whether it's somebody that would connect to the story as a mother, the opening chapter is about me reading to my son. And if I have friends that read to their kids a lot, I said, hey, would you want to try to read this? And I got a couple people that way. Um, But really what I did to find the reviews was I thought about what's the book offer to this type of person? Can I connect them to that and then give them a chance to, to see the book and what it offers their interest and see if I can get a review out of it. And it worked really well. Uh, It gave me a lot of feedback, but also we're still five days from pre-sales and there's over 10 written reviews. I think there's 13 fully written reviews on Goodreads so people can get a good, genuine idea of what the book's about. The cover of From My Mother is definitely an eye-catcher. What's the concept behind it? Oh, I love my cover. It came out so good. Um, From My Mother is a story that involves a lot of science, but uh, I want the story to be more casual, to be family-related, to be personal. So on the cover, it has a tree with a DNA helix as the trunk, and the tree is like your family tree, but it's an adult coloring book page, so it 
it feels a little trendy, but it also feels organic and homey and personal. And it's a family yes. tree, and the family tree is tied to the, the DNA of a genetic disease, but it doesn't feel like a lab beaker and an impersonal doctor. It feels like a real family story that you would sit down and color with your kids. In fact, when I go to book signings, uh, I have blank adult coloring book pages with the cover art so people can color it themselves. <laughs> but nice. It, the cover really expresses uh, the life to it. I told the publisher I wanted it to feel optimistic. I wanted to have the themes and the symbolism of the science, but I wanted to feel like a personal story that you could hold and find meaning in. And you know what? Part of the adult coloring book kind of looks like a quilt, uh, like a grandmother-mother tradition type thing, and yet the DNA helix also makes it look current and uh, medically advanced. And it, it's it's a really nice juxtaposition between something organic and ancient like a tree and the DNA helix, which is science and the root of it. And you'll notice on the cover, the, the leech, my name, it, it's connected to the roots and um, what I got from Oh, okay. What oh, I got from great. my mother is going to be passed on to my children, yes. so I'm now the roots, too. It, I love the cover. And my in the family, uh, I don't want to spoil the, the ending for you, but uh, my mother, while she's in the, the hospital, the way she tells us that she's ready to have the life support removed is that she references the hymn, All Fly Away. And in order to reference that hymn, she can't talk at that point because she has a ventilator in her throat or a tracheotomy. Uh, but she puts her hands together like a butterfly, and she gives us the fly away symbol by moving her hands like a butterfly. And wow. we just, in my family, we use butterflies as a symbol for dust. And it's, it's just one of those things. It's so synchronistic. It fits so well. It kind of feels like fate. But I, I love that cover. <laughs> Yeah, I love the juxtaposition, the the fusion uh, of the tree and the DNA, uh, uh, both different facets of of life. Um, Great, great cover. Darcy, you have graciously agreed to read from your book. Please do so now, and please set up what you'll be reading. Okay. Uh, This chapter is called Beyond Willpower, and this is actually... For my author friends out there listening, uh, when I was in the early processes of the book, I excerpted this chapter and sent it to Quest Magazine, which is a muscular dystrophy association magazine. And actually, they ran this excerpt in their magazine, and that helped me gain a ton of positive momentum because it was connecting right to the audience that the book's going to matter to the most. Uh, So this has actually been online since 2003, but it's part of the book, and it's gone through some revisions since then. But it talks about um, the contrast between what I want to do with athletics and how I use willpower to try to get what I want out of life. That The idea that if we try hard enough or if we work long enough that we'll get everything we want. And it contrasts that to uh, kind of what my brother and mother faced in degenerative diseases that uh, they didn't choose. and they couldn't avoid. So this is chapter 15, uh, Beyond Willpower. Okay. As a young girl, my constant goal was to help my brother Dustin walk. Dustin's limits were hard to gauge because he constantly surpassed expectations. 
He was born with congenital myotonic muscular dystrophy and expected to die. Then his life expectancy was three months and then three years. Instead, he gained strength and capabilities until age 13 when he had a simple cold and just did not wake up. His body became too much for the largest muscle in his body, the heart. While Dustin was alive, I threw quarters in wells, prayed every night, and practiced with him every day after he had surgery and got corrective braces. I would stretch my brother's legs, rotate his ankles, do resistant exercises, and help him practice standing. At age 12, I thought willpower was so strong that through perseverance and dedication, I could will my brother to walk. Three years older than my brother, I grew up doing adult caretaking tasks. Through the years, I would change thousands of diapers, brush Dustin's teeth, lift him into bed, administer nebulizer treatments, clean his feeding tube, watch him when both my parents had to work, bathe him, unload his chair from the bus, and play with him. Most things I did for my brother were helpful. Exceptions about willpower and Dustin walking, I pushed my brother past his comfort level and caused more pain than progress. For me, being the healthy sibling, willpower was a tool to push past obstacles. However, the same view I took of my young healthy body proved detrimental to my brothers and caused him pain. For a while after Dustin died, I lived a pretty normal life. I went to college, dated my future husband, and wrote about my brother. Before getting married, I had a genetic test for myotonic dystrophy, which came back negative. I was going to have the chance to raise a normal family, a chance my mother only thought she had. I knew my mother, JoLynn, also had myotonic muscular dystrophy. I knew that when she shook someone's hand, she couldn't fully release her grip unassisted. I knew that for the last 10 or so years of her life, she couldn't open jars. I knew she walked more slowly, her legs swelled, her endurance shortened, and one day she would need a wheelchair. I knew she enjoyed her job at Walmart until she switched stations, no longer had a chair, and had to stand during long hours on the job. I thought she quit because she wasn't tough, maybe even lazy, or because she didn't speak up well enough to get a chair. I worried about getting new basketball shoes when my mother no longer worked because her legs hurt, come to softball games and not be able to climb the bleachers, so she'd bring a lawn chair and sit away from the other parents. Once, when she tried to work again, she fell asleep as a paraprofessional in a grade school class and never got called back. As a teacher, I tried to be gentle with my mom, but I told her she'd have to will herself to pay attention, try to find ways to stay awake and prepare better, by getting more sleep. There were a lot of times I thought my mom wasn't trying hard enough, was too concerned about resting, or that she should choose not to be so sad. My brother Dustin had an obvious terminal disease. I was told before I met him that I would live longer than him. I knew to cherish each day with my brother and that, as his healthy sister, it was naturally my job to help take care of him. My mother was once very capable, beautiful, and vivacious. Her illness crept up in small increments. She was losing muscle strength. I thought a lot of it was mindset and effort, that she could will herself into being the woman who had ridden bikes with me when I was 10. When my mother ended up in the hospital, 
unable to breathe on her own. I felt blindsided. Mom was going to live with us, help me be a good mother, and watch my son Eli while I worked. Looking back, the signs of her disease were obvious. But living through it, I often thought Mom needed to toughen up. I gave advice about perspective and will, choosing pragmatic advice over empathy. The town doctor had never heard of a rare disease. When he said, if she has myotonic dystrophy, I don't know there is much we can do. I knew it wasn't my mother's lack of willpower that put her in the hospital. I had known so much about Dustin's congenital myotonic dystrophy and paid so little attention to my mother's adult-onset form. Myotonic dystrophy can affect mental acuity over time, slurs speech, and creates hypersomnia and apathy, all signs my mother had. There were so many things my mother did that I wish she could just change her mind about. She couldn't just change her mind. Her genetics carried a degenerative muscle disease. Willpower doesn't change everything. can't be just anything we want to be. My mother couldn't will herself to be like she was when she was 30 or 40. She couldn't choose to be normal. Her muscles were degenerating. She had the social stigma of seeming weak, lazy, lethargic, apathetic, sad. She chose none of those. She willed none of those. She was limited by her genes, and we were limited by our ignorance. My lessons from my mother's life are many. The one that stings the most, the one I want to imbue in my heart, is to not judge people negatively by how they act, even if they look normal or have been normal in your past. Because you never know what they have to fight inside something they never chose to have. The answer to Dustin walking was not willpower. He was not born to walk, and while trying made us better people, more practice wasn't the answer. Compassion was. The answer to the feeling that I was losing my mother slowly over the years was not to try to motivate her into a new perspective to magically fix all the problems. It was love. As painful as some of those moments were, I thank God for my time with my mother while she was on a ventilator in long-term critical care. My heart knew she couldn't get better. I couldn't will it. And my prayers were, Thy will be done. I took joy in washing her hair and felt honored to comb it. It took until the end of her life for me to cherish each day with my mother the way I naturally had done with my brother. At the end, I loved my mother simply without any request to do better in any way or be more capable. I simply love that she was there, my mother. I wish I did that more often in my life. I will do that more often in my life for those who are still here. Excellent, excellent writing, excellent story. Wow. One good reads five-star review of the book by Celeste McGlamory states in part, I read often, and as a nurse, some special types of literature can help me be more caring and compassionate in my job. From my mother is that special type of literature, a well-written piece of narrative medicine 
from my mother helped me to better understand the home dynamics of a family affected by genetic and terminal disease. Darcy, that's such a great testament to you and all the blood, sweat, and tears you went writing the book. How did this particular review affect you? Uh, it, it was pretty great. Um, I think it's so important for a lot of people, but especially the people in the medical community. If nurses read this book, if people that are in caretaking positions read this book, if um, nursing home workers read this book, it it's a lesson in empathy, and it's a true human story that can increase compassion. And empathy and compassion are some of the most important traits that anybody can take to a job, but especially people in, in caretaking or healthcare. Right. Uh, there were, you know, doctors that talked to me when I was young about about my brother, and they didn't look past me, but they they looked at me and thought, how can I help her in her life? Or if a nurse can just spend a couple minutes with spouse of somebody who has a disease and comfort them or be real with them. I mean, those moments really can make medical chaos a little easier. Um, I would love for for more people in the medical community to read that. Uh, The genre of narrative medicine is probably small and maybe newer, but um, I think the power of true stories for doctors and nurses can be one of the things that makes them so much better at their job. I mean, you can learn a lot of new technical knowledge and you can have advanced degrees, but that that human relationship, that organic feeling of the tree with the DNA helix, that's really what makes it. Because there's going to be, my mom passed away, but I survived and I carry on those lessons and I carry on those moments. And you know, the truth is, I can... uh, if I hear a, a beep, like in a hospital, I get flashbacks still. And my mom's moments were also my moments. And right. they were my dad's moments. And they live on with us. And the kindness and the care of the nurses in those situations, that affects lives that are still going. And um, that review is amazing. And in part, I think that's so strong because it's true. And if people in nursing use this kind of book to leisure read or pleasure read, uh, they're going to be better at their jobs after that because they're going to have more open eyes for the families around them in the situation too. How did you get From My Mother published? Um, and talk about any challenges you had in this publishing process. Yeah, sure. There's plenty of challenges in modern publishing, right? <laughs> um, yep. One of the things that gave me the best opportunity was there was a there's a local Salina Arts and Humanities Commission, and one of my college professors encouraged me multiple times because I didn't do it the first time to apply for the Lana Jordan Aspiring Artist Grant offered by the Salina Arts and Humanities Commission. Um, and I won. I got full funding, which was a $3,000 grant, and they look to nurture artists in the area. They don't normally do books, uh, but that was a huge boon because before that I had sent off and I'd queried an agent, and the agent was interested but didn't want to sign a memoir author who hadn't published a book before on a rare disease. I mean, that doesn't sound like an easily accessible market. Um, 
So I thought I had good writing. I thought I had a meaningful story, but what I had to create was a platform. Uh, they talk about that a lot in marketing. And what the grant allowed me to do, I one of the first things I did was I got a great graphic artist, Eric Montoy in Salina, and he designed my website. And now I update and modify the website myself. But the visual layout he created made me uh, look like I knew what I was doing. It made me look kind of professional, and I was able to hire a writing coach who helped me through the first two chapters and gave me very intense suggestions on looking at who my target audience is, how I can relate uh, the the language of a genetic disease and make it more accessible to um, typical families, uh, a wider audience, how I can, the first chapter starts with me reading to my son and then it's contrasted by my mother reading to me and it's a really, it's a relationship of families and in order to convey that, I had to have some help because I knew what my story was to me but what I had to think about was what is my story to other people and right. Marianne Karnick was my writing coach and she was great and that was accessible because of the grant but I don't think from my mother ever would have got published without her help on my first two chapters because they're a hundred times better than they were um, so I would say those were the two biggest catapults to actually landing a contract and it's a Alexio Publishing is an up-and-coming, small to middle-sized press. Uh, my book's not going to be all across the world in Walmart or any Barnes & Noble you walk into, but it, it's a great start and a great opportunity. Um, I queried them by searching poets and writers, and I queried a whole bunch of small presses that day, and Alexio Publishing um, responded pretty promptly, probably two or three weeks after that, and we started discussions, and they recognized that I had already had a pretty professional website built that I'd been purposely developing um, my social media base to kind of build a platform, that I was an active blogger, that I had a pretty well taken care of manuscripts with the, the writing coach's help, and from there... Um, Alexio has been great about helping me take the, the text farther and getting those final copy edits, and they did great on the cover. But the real challenge was um, getting to know the writing market well enough to need to look like an author who had the potential for success. Because there's a lot of good books these days that don't have the platform, that don't have the marketing right. base, that don't have the online presence. And uh, that grant application really helped me to build that by seeking professional help. Uh, knowing the right people is good, uh, but some of that grant money I've used on things like Fiverr.com to get people to do things um, like adult coloring book pages. Actually, that was the inspiration for the cover. Um, so I would say the biggest difficulty was confidence in thinking, am I good enough to do this? Because it's a very personal story. And then building a base they say fake it till you make it. That's what I heard from my coach all the time when I was playing college softball, and that's kind of what I've been doing as an author is uh, I try to put up something that looks professional, looks clean, looks good, makes me look like I know what I'm doing, and eventually I'll know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'd like to talk a little bit about another hat that you wear, Darcy, working sure. as an instructional technology coach, helping adults use technology in their jobs. What exactly do you do in this capacity? I work at a middle school of about 500 kids, and my job is first I research technology. I use the technology myself. I have to have a pretty good working knowledge 
of the technology. But then I go in and I help people troubleshoot. Uh, we're, we're going to be a Google school next year with one-to-one -one Chromebook devices. So a lot of my job is to help teachers do something like run a Google Classroom, learn how to edit and modify Google Docs, build slides presentations. But uh, there's a lot of crossover too. I run my school's social media Facebook presence. And with that, I have to think about things like how do we engage our stakeholders? Uh, how do we recognize our staff in a way that makes staff morale higher? So the cool thing about my job is that I get to work with technology, and I get to work with effective writing and rhetoric. But also, one of my tasks as an instructional technology coach is to think about how will the public perceive this? How will this communicate to the community members about our school? And that's exactly the same type of thing I'm trying to do with my book, is use social media to think, how can I build a positive presence for what I'm doing with my book? How can I communicate effectively to get this message out there. Um, this job has been great for me. It's the exact right time in my life for this is the marketing phase of my book. So if you can ever land a tech job the year you're publishing a book, it's pretty useful. Uh, I got to go to a conference uh, at Kansas State University and present uh, to other educators. And actually what I presented about was called Social Media Psychology, Rhetoric, and Education. And I talked about how I'd been using the Facebook page, how I used grammar on our Facebook page, how I always tried to write tight to make the message more attractive, uh, how I used icons, and how I paid attention to Facebook's ranking system to try to get our message to reach possible to have its most impact. Um, and one of my New Year's resolutions, this is personal, this is not work-related, but was to read a book a week on social media marketing. And I just used a Kindle Unlimited subscription and read a bunch of free books on there because you can whip through a 60-page book on Facebook pages or Goodreads for Authors. Goodreads for Authors is like the best book you can read for marketing, by the way. Um, but I got to kind of double up because my job was to prepare for that MACE conference. My job was to run the Facebook page for my school. So the knowledge I learned there, I also got to use in marketing for my book. And the knowledge I gained in marketing for my book made me better at launching that Facebook page or running our Twitter or looking at the website that we build for our school. It's a pretty cool lineup as far as what my day job does and what I want to do with my author career. Yeah, it, it reminds me of, of my story. I worked in IT as a technician for over 20 years. I, my IT was and still is my thing, so it it's helped me a great, great deal in the, with my, my books, my work, and, and everything. So I can definitely understand uh, what you're talking about. Darcy, in closing, what's next for you? Is there going to be maybe a sequel to my mother or from my mother or another book or something else? What other irons do you have in the fire coming up? All right, my irons might seem a little ambitious, but I have a good answer for this. I really think part of my life mission, my goal, what I'm meant for to have my writing help out the community um, that it targets, uh, the muscular dystrophy community or genetic diseases or people who struggle with loss, and after From My Mother, I actually have a fiction trilogy planned. I'm going to call it the Hope Trilogy. And book one is going to be a lot like 
what I grew up with. It's going to have a sibling pair, one sibling that's healthy, and one sibling that's affected by a terminal disease. And book one will get you to know the characters, get their life story, and uh, I don't want to spoil the ending, but book two is going to be about the terminal disease being cured in in the character Hope, Hope's the boy's name, and living life out that was terminal but is now uh, cured. So his life story after being cured of a terminal disease. And then book three, book three is the most open-ended and exciting, uh, but actually the scientific research they're doing to look for a cure for muscular dystrophy uh, what they've been doing with mice is they put a virus in the mice on purpose, and this virus affects and attacks the DNA, and it actually isolates the part of the DNA that makes too many protein repeats for the muscles to work. And the DNA reforms without as much or maybe even none of that genetic flaw, and uh, then the mouse is better able to move around and that kind of thing. So book three is going to talk about what the world might look like once we have the ability to genetically manipulate DNA in order to cure previously terminal diseases. I don't know where I'm going to go with that one yet, but it sounds like an awful lot of fun to write. (laughs) (laughs) It sure does. The Hope Trilogy. I I love it. Um, So, Darcy, how do people get a hold of you, um, follow you, give out any contact information you'd like? Sure. Um, My name is my website, so D-A-R-C-Y-L-E-E-C-H dot com is my homepage. And all my social media links are on there. I actually have a public Facebook profile, so you could look up Darcy Leach on Facebook and find me. I also have an author page on Facebook, and that one would be facebook.com slash Darcy Leach author. And I really like social media. You can find me on Twitter, at Leach Darcy. You can find me on Instagram, at Leach Darcy. There's links on my DarcyLeach.com for things like Pinterest or YouTube. You can watch me reading poetry on YouTube. but the main nice. thing is if you go to the hub of DarcyLeach.com, you can find everything else. You have been listening to the Funk Soul Cafe with your host, Robert Batista. Look for my free short stories, Carmela's Dream and My Baby Has No Name, on Smashwords.com. My guest has been prolific author, teacher, and all-around beautiful spirit. Oh, she's also a great softball player. What position did you play, Darcy? center field. (laughs) That's one of the hardest positions. Uh, Her name is Darcy Leach, and her dynamic book is called From My Mother. Make sure to order your copy. Thank you so much, Darcy, for being a guest on the Funk Soul Cafe. It was a pleasure, Robert. It was fantastic. Enjoy your day. Bye now.